The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 7. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and, Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be, shall na your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we, also ha we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the eighth chapter. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea, Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Who do you say that I am? That is the question that Jesus presents to his disciples. Of course, Peter answers correctly, you are the Christ. And in Matthew's gospel, he adds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I am guessing that all of you sitting here this morning have no problem agreeing with Peter's great confession, right? Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, God's chosen Savior. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, for sure. But those words that he speaks, those were a bit too much, too difficult, too painful to hear. Suffering, rejection, death. Yeah, rising again, that's great, but suffering, rejection, and death? No way, Peter thinks. No way, Lord, can that happen to you. This cannot happen to you, Jesus. You are destined for far greater things, far bigger things than that. And if that was too much for Peter to hear, if those words were too difficult for him to hear, just listen to what Jesus has to say next. Get behind me, Satan, he calls him. Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. That one's got a sting, and that's just it. A mind that is set on sidestepping, that is avoiding the cross, is a mind that is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man, and as Jesus says, ultimately the things of Satan. That's tough to hear. It was tough to, for Peter to hear. It's tough for us to hear today because the flip side of that coin is also true because a mind that is set on the things of God, therefore, is a mind that is set on the cross. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Well, what? did our teacher, what did our master's life look like? Was it a good life? A life of luxury and ease? Was it a life of fitting in with the world? Was it a life of being the coolest, richest, most powerful man in town? No, Jesus taught, and we're told he's taught this plainly, that this would be none of his fate, rather suffering, rejection, and death was his life. Ah, but also resurrection. Now, if that's what Christ's life looked like, and 
What do you suppose then that the Christian life is going to look like? Jesus tells us what the Christian life is to look like. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. So it appears that our lives, like his, are cross-shaped. Christ took up his cross. We are called to take up our crosses too. Christ humbled himself and denied himself to, for the sake of others, to save others. We are called to be humble and to take up our crosses and deny ourselves too. Christ suffered at the hands of evil men. We shouldn't be surprised then if we too might suffer at the hands of evil men. Christ gave up his life to save us. Now Jesus tells us whoever loses his life for his sake, for Jesus' sake, and the Gospels will save it. Yet, just as Satan was active amongst the twelve disciples, lying and deceiving, using Peter, trying to get Jesus to sidestep that cross, to to avoid suffering and death, Satan remains active among us, too. And he will do all that he can to divert our eyes from the cross and to get us to avoid suffering for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, to fear death and to sidestep the crosses that our Lord has laid upon us. Now, these crosses aren't just any sort of suffering and hardship. I don't want to downplay suffering and hardship, but even the pagan and the unbeliever suffer the results of living in a sinful, fallen world. So Jesus then explains what crosses he has in mind in verse 38 of our gospel reading. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes at the last day, in glory with his Father and all the angels. Whoever is ashamed of Jesus and his words. The crosses that Jesus is talking about here then are the result of following Jesus and the result of following his word. You see, Christ and his words go together. You can't separate Christ from his word. You cannot say that Jesus is the Christ, the great confession, and then in the same breath say, yeah, but I don't really like what he has to say about this thing or that thing. You can't claim to love Jesus, which you did. Lord, thee I love with all my heart, we just sang. You cannot claim to love Jesus, but hate what he teaches. You cannot say that you are a follower, a learner of Jesus, and then have a mind that is set on things that are anti-Christ, that is, going against God's word. That is the way of an adulterous and sinful generation, isn't it? And it's true of an adulterous, sinful generation at Jesus' time, and it's true of our time, too. So at this point, it would be so easy for me to stand up here this morning and talk about all those sinful and adulterous things that are happening in the world out there when we leave this place. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Of course, the world has its mind set on the things of men, on the things that are not of God, on the things ultimately of Satan. Of course they do. 
Of course the world wants to sidestep crosses and do everything within their power to avoid suffering and pain and death. Of course they do that. But you are not of the world. You have been set apart. You have been purchased and won by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are baptized into Jesus, whom you love, and you confess him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Unfortunately, the problems that we all like to, to point to out there, all of those problems, unfortunately, we also find here. And here. And here. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He also said, what, prof what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but forfeit his life? Yet our hearts and our minds are often set on the things of glory, the things of this world, the things of men, ultimately the things of Satan. We see this when God's word is compromised in order for us to save our own skin in this adulterous generation. When we try to gain the world's riches, sometimes even with some compromising or some uh, some touchy uh, issues there, trying to, to gain the world's riches for ourselves and trying to fit in with this adulterous, sinful generation. Or maybe we've only thought about such things. Or maybe we've just desired it. Maybe, maybe some parts of God's word could just, maybe we could just set those aside. Perhaps some parts of God's word are a bit antiquated, a bit old-fashioned. Maybe we've outgrown them a little bit, haven't we? Well, even that thought and desire is sinful. You see, sin is the exact opposite of denying yourself. It is the exact opposite of taking up your, your cross and following Jesus. And if sin isn't forgiven, well, then Jesus, Jesus again, clear, plain words ring true. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. So, we repent. That is, we deny ourselves. We deny the demands of our sinful self. We lose our life, and we turn to Christ, where we receive Christ's forgiveness, where we find life in him and in him alone, where our lives now are hidden in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, had a mind not set on the things of men. No, his mind was firmly set only on the things of God. And that's good news. Jesus Christ would not sidestep his cross. He would not avoid suffering and pain and death. Nothing and no one is going to stand in his way. Not Peter, not Satan, nothing in all the world is going to stop him from setting his face to the cross. The things of men, the things of Satan, must get behind him as he makes his way now down the path that God has chosen for him, a path of, yes, suffering, pain, and death. All the while, knowing that he would rise in victory over all of it three days later. And Jesus, the Christ, 
our Lord, our Savior, the Son of the living God, refused to sidestep his cross, and that means he willingly endured suffering, pain, shame even, for you. He has taken all of your compromising, or even your desire to compromise God's word to save your own skin in this generation. All of your sinful, adulterous thoughts and desires, perhaps even of gaining the world and the world wealth, maybe even at the expense of your own soul, or at least damage to it. He has taken up all of these things into himself. He has picked up his cross, and he lugged it, he carried it, he bore it all the way up to the place of the skull where he paid the price for all of that sin, all of it. And now, by God's grace through faith, he gives to you all the things of God, not the things of men, but the things of God, which are far greater. And these are the things that Romans 5 so beautifully describes, beautifully proclaims. And I recommend that you read that Romans 5 passage over and over and over and over again. You have been justified by faith. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, you have obtained access by faith to the grace in which you now stand. Now you rejoice in hope. In the glory of God. Because while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Since you have been justified by his blood, much more will you be saved from his, the wrath that is to come. For while, if while you were still enemies, Christ died for you, you are reconciled by the death of the Son. Much more now will you be reconciled. Now that you are reconciled, shall you be saved by his life. You also rejoice that God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom you have now received reconciliation. You now are reunited with your Father. He is pleased with you. You are justified. You are reconciled. You see, Jesus and his word go together. And there's nothing there to be ashamed of. Nothing. Quite the opposite, in fact. This is the only thing in which we boast. The gospel Jesus Christ. For the gospel is the power for salvation. And you know, if in this sinful and adulterous generation our crosses start becoming heavier and heavier and heavier to bear, then so be it. Your sins are removed. You are reconciled with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. God is with you. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Your sins are gone. You are free. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Stand. stand in, you now stand in the gospel. So with minds set then not on the things of men, but on the things of the cross and God, the things of God, a mind set on the cross, we take up our crosses and we follow him. And we can even rejoice in our sufferings, as Paul says knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. You have nothing to be ashamed of. As we pick up our crosses and follow Jesus, we know that just as Christ has risen from the dead, we too will not be put to shame, but we too shall rise in victory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Amen.